This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me for episode number six of the Parenting ADHD podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about what the next steps after diagnosis are. Now you know that your child has ADHD, but what are you supposed to do? What, what comes next? There is certainly a learning curve to parenting a child with ADHD. Um, for me, that learning curve was about two or three years, guys, two or three years. Um, my son certainly has some other complications to that. He has pretty severe ADHD. He also has autism and some learning disabilities, and he has a genetic abnormality called MTHFR, which causes him to be very sensitive to medications. Of course, we didn't know that the first several years as we were trialing medications. So, you know, we might have had a little more difficult path than some of you will when you're starting out. But my point is that it really is a very different parenthood. And It does take some time to figure things out, to really start to understand your child through that lens of ADHD and to really understand their behaviors and how to effectively help them, you know, the best approaches and strategies to really help them succeed, to help them be happy um, and be productive in life. So, You know, there are definitely some first steps that I think you need to take that would be most beneficial to you and your child and your family after you get a diagnosis. And that's not to say that if you've had a diagnosis for a while, you shouldn't be listening to this episode of the podcast, because there is an awful lot here that I'm going to talk about that most of us are not told about. And most of us don't know that we should be looking at or thinking about or doing. And so there certainly could be a lot of really good information in here for those of you who have had a diagnosis for a while, but still have a lot of struggles. So I want you guys to hang in with me if that is you, because I think that you'll find a great benefit to the information in this episode as well. So let's jump right in. The very first thing that I would recommend that you do after diagnosis is start reading and researching and learning all you can about exactly what ADHD is, how the ADHD brain works, what parenting styles are helpful and what are harmful or ineffective. Um, And of course, there's so much information out there. Be sure that you're looking at really reputable sources. Any of the top ranked books on Amazon under parenting hyperactivity, I believe is the category, will certainly be reputable books. Um, Websites like Attitude Magazine, WebMD, Mayo Clinic, um, NIMH, the CDC, 
all of those websites are really valuable. Um, Understood.org is one of my favorites. Very reputable. Um, Because there's a lot of, as you probably well know, a lot of people are out there saying that ADHD isn't real, or it was just made up by pharmaceutical companies to get rich, or... Um, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child will certainly turn your kid's behavior around or it's all due to your bad, ineffective parenting, whatever. I'm sure you've heard all of it. And of course, none of that is true. And so I want you to be really cautious, really careful about you know, the sources of the information that you get. So if I was going to go back to the beginning, what I know now, and choose some books to read at the beginning, these are the books I would read. Um, Hallowell's Super Parenting for ADD. The Explosive Child, that would be my number one top book, even if your child isn't even remotely explosive. Um, That one is so great. Um, Ross Green really explains triggers and why our kids have the behaviors that they have. Um, It is a very, very valuable book. It turned around our family and it can do the same for yours for sure. Mindful Parenting for ADHD, I believe is the title by Mark Burton, is also a really great book. Um, for starting out. And I also like um, how to talk so kids will listen and how to listen so kids will talk. It is not ADHD specific, but it has, you know, the same approach that's really effective when raising kids with ADHD. So I would highly recommend that one as well. Um, And then Jerome Schultz has a book on the effect of stress on kids with disabilities at school that I think is a really valuable eye-opener for parents of struggling kids and And of course, any of that that you can impart to teachers is going to be really beneficial as well, as long as they are open to receiving it. So you're going to learn everything you can. You're going to finally understand why your kid acts the way they do, what the reasons behind it are, and that's going to help you to have some positive effect on behavior, on family life, and all of those sort of things. The second thing that you need to address after diagnosis is treatment. ADHD that does not is not treated and can be as harmful as you know the possible side effects of medication. Um, untreated ADHD has been shown to lead to self-medicating through drug and alcohol abuse or addiction, um, suicide, increased depression and anxiety. You know, I'm not trying to scare you into using medication. Um, that is certainly a personal decision for every family, but. I feel like people don't consider the fact that there are possible side effects to not treating ADHD. Um, and, and you really need to consider and weigh that. Um, there again is a lot of misinformation and myths out there about stimulant medication for ADHD. You cannot, um, 
you cannot equate it to giving your child speed um, or, you know, methamphetamine. It is not the same. The doses of stimulant medication are really minute compared to what a drug user would use um, in order to get high. It just isn't the same thing. And with medication, you're really kind of filling in the gap where nature left off, where their brain has a difference, where their neurotransmitter levels are not adequate. Um, And so, like I said, I know it's a personal decision. It's not for everyone. It made a tremendous difference in our lives. My son could never function at school without it, Um, really couldn't enjoy anything without it because he couldn't focus on anything, even stuff he liked for more than a couple of minutes. So big game changer for us, but it's certainly something that everyone has to um, evaluate for themselves and for their own families. But I want you to be sure that you're looking at real factual information when you're considering it. I think, you know, you owe it to yourself and to your child to make sure that you're making that decision based on fact. Another element of treatment is therapy. Um, Studies have shown that medication together with behavioral therapy is the most effective ADHD treatment for kids. Um, Most effective medication and behavioral therapy together. And a therapist is going to work with you on skills and strategies for parenting this child with ADHD. They're going to work with your child on developing their lagging skills like frustration, tolerance, regulating emotions, self-awareness, time blindness, you know, lots of different lagging skills that our kids have. The therapist can work with them on creating strategies to manage, to cope, to work around, um, very valuable information, really. It, It also guides your parenting. There are alternative treatments out there, and what we do is we use some of the alternatives as a complement to ADHD medication because um, those alternative treatments alone have not been successful for my son. So, you know, a lot of these are really kind of pointing to a healthy lifestyle. The healthier your child's lifestyle is, the better their ADHD is going to be, the better their functioning is going to be. Um, Those sort of things include a low GI, high protein diet, lots of protein, complex carbohydrates paired with proteins, um, avoid as much simple carbs, white bread, sugar, that sort of thing as you can. Um, Supplements have been found effective for some, fish oil, iron, zinc, Um, melatonin for sleep, and then exercise, which again is part of that healthy lifestyle. There are plenty of studies out there that show that exercise um, has a benefit to the brain. You know, they've done a lot of studies with school kids who half of the school kids exercised and then took a test and the other half just took the test without the exercise. The kids with exercise 
always do better, always. It's really important. And this is where, you know, taking away recess at school as a punishment, this is why that is such a bad idea. Because the more exercise and movement they have, the better they're going to do in the classroom and academically. So never let a teacher or an administrator take away recess from your child as a punishment. That is one of the last things that they should be removing because it's actually helping them function better in the classroom. Another alternative treatment that is becoming more and more common is neurofeedback or biofeedback. Um, the, the research on that is kind of split. It's hit and miss. But I do know of several people that have given anecdotal um, support that neurofeedback has helped with their ADHD or their child's ADHD. So that's definitely another thing to think about and consider. The issue with neurofeedback and the reason we haven't tried it is because insurance doesn't commonly... Um, it doesn't commonly cover it, and it is very expensive. You know, you can be sure that you will probably have to spend um, upwards of twenty five hundred, maybe three or four thousand dollars for that treatment. So, it's not accessible to everyone yet. But um, I think there is some merit to it for some people, and it's something good to look into um, for your child. The third aspect of what you need to do after diagnosis is to journal. I need you to keep a daily journal. I wish someone had told me this at the the outset after my son's diagnosis. It was a very long time before I realized that I really couldn't keep everything straight and I really couldn't determine what behavior was due to medicine or lack of sleep or lack of um, food or what have you because it was just all kind of swimming around in my head. You know, it all ran together after a while. And so keeping a daily journal, Tracking some specific things can be very, very helpful to getting treatment kind of honed in and really effective, you know, really discovering what is the right treatment and so forth for your child. So this journal can be anything. I offer a form like a one page that you can print out and repeat repeatedly use on my website, parentingadhdandautism.com. Um, but you can get, you know, a 50 cent notebook at Walmart, just a spiral notebook and keep it there. Whatever works for you is fine. The, the important thing is that it works for you and you use it every day. So here are the things that I want you to track in your daily journal. Number one is sleep. What time did your child go to sleep? What time did they wake up? Did they have trouble falling asleep? Did they have trouble staying asleep all night? Those are very important pieces of information. Number two is medication and supplements and vitamins, herbs, all of that stuff. Any sort of medication or pill that they ingest, um, any supplement at all, because sometimes supplements um, interact with medications poorly. Sometimes certain individuals don't tolerate certain supplements or vitamins very well. My son is one of those. He has some significant mood reactions to some vitamins, um, which we don't 
typically expect. I certainly didn't expect it and took me a while to figure out that that's what it actually was because I felt like vitamins and supplements were pretty innocuous. And it turns out that they really aren't, you know, they're not regulated. You really need to work with a physician on that sort of thing on vitamins and supplements. So when you're tracking the medication and supplements, you're going to write down exactly what they took, the dosage, what time they took it. All of those things are very important. Um, you know, if your child takes the same stuff at the same dosage at the same time every day, you can certainly, you know, make a note to yourself to repeat it. You don't have to write it out every day, of course, but this is very important information. And if the time that they take their medication or their supplements varies a little bit, then you need to be very diligent about recording that information. The third thing that you're going to write down in your journal every day is what they ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. You're going to write down what they ate and at what time for everything. It's really important because some of our kids have food sensitivities, food allergies. Um, sometimes, you know, medication or supplements works better on an empty stomach or on a full stomach. You know, all these things you're trying to determine and really drill down to get the exact right treatment for your child. Um, the last thing that you're going to record in your journal every day is twofold. It is positive behavior and negative behavior. And for each, you're going to write down what was happening right before that, where you were, who you were with, what the outburst looked like, or the meltdown, and then what happened just after and of course, time of day. Every single thing you write down in your journal, you've got to write down the time of day that it happened. It's super important. And so once you have this picture of, you know, what they ate that day, how well they slept, when they had bad unwanted behavior, when they had positive, great behavior, you can start to make correlations. You can start to see triggers of outbursts and meltdowns and, you know, over emotional periods. You can start to see when um, medication might be more helpful or supplements. You know, this is really going to start to show you patterns and correlations so that you can act on them. It is vital to get things right. You know, ADHD medication, they don't write a script based on what your child weighs and send you out the door and it's guaranteed to help. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It is a matter of genetics, uh, metabolism, an individual's neurotransmitter levels and how their brain uses them. And, you know, there's so many factors that go into it. So it really is trial and error. And just like a scientist, the more records you keep, the better your log is, the easier it's going to be to determine exactly why certain things happen and what you can do to change them or what you can do to make them happen again and again, like, you know, positive behavior. When your child's doing great, you want to know why so you can repeat that, right? So it just makes sense to keep a journal, keep a log and be able to really kind of drill down to what is 
helping and what is causing those episodes and outbursts that you want to change. The fourth thing that I want you to do right after diagnosis or now if you haven't done it is to set a daily schedule with routines. Um, That's another thing I wish I knew earlier. I wish I had realized how important that is, how helpful it is um, to kids with ADHD. The more structure that they have, the better their behaviors are going to be for two reasons. Number one, they know what to expect. They know what's coming next, and that gives them a sense of safety and security. And number two, it helps to form habits. If you have routines, say for your morning routine, getting ready for school, eventually they're not going to need routine reminders um, like a checklist or a chart. They're going to just habitually go through that same process over and over again. So for kids who have really struggle with um, executive functions, organization, planning, working memory, you know, they get lost in small processes routines and checklists are huge for them. They become a way for them to have some independence and self-sufficiency for you to be able to step back and not have to nag and remind so often. Um, The first time that a routine really worked well for us, my son was probably about seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there, probably seven And I created a morning routine checklist for him. And it wasn't just any ordinary checklist because we had used those and they had failed many times already. This one I made on a four by six card. I kept it as simple as possible, but I put every item on it that he needed to do from the time he woke up and opened his eyes until the time we walked out the door to go to school. It was about seven or eight things, I think, on that card. And I laminated it so that it was sturdy and it could get wet in the bathroom when he's brushing his teeth. And, you know, it could be carried all around with him wherever he was going to complete his tasks. And it was going to survive for more than a day. And then I put a paper clip on the side of it. And that paper clip just slid up and down the side, pointing to the task that he was on. But the real reason that it worked was because there was a very motivating reward at the end of that checklist. So our rule in our house all along up till that point was that you could not have any electronics, any television, any games, anything like that before going to school because it was just too distracting for getting ready. You know, when you're already struggling to get through the process, remember what you have to do um, and get things done, having that extra layer of distraction would mean that we would never, ever get out of the house on time. We'd never make it. So that was always our rule in our house up to this point. So what I did for a reward on this checklist was to offer that he could have electronics and screen time and, and, and that sort of thing as long as he was ready for school by a particular time. For us at that time, it was 740. 
um, was the time we had to leave for school. So he had to be ready by 720 in order to get his screen time. And it worked like magic, you guys. It worked so well. It was like a miracle. Um, He loved carrying that thing around, using it like a game card. And of course, he really loved being able to have TV and electronics in the morning before school. I set it as 20 minutes because to me that was enough time for him to really get something out of it. You know, if we turned on the TV five minutes before we left, it'd be really hard for him to get up and move on already. Um, and then he was also allowed to take his portable electronics in the car on the way to school. And I found that that was really soothing for him, actually. You know, the car ride was usually full of anxiety because he didn't do well at school, he didn't like school. He had a really hard time and being able to kind of lose himself a little bit in a game or some music on the car ride helped to really keep him calm for school. So we got lots of benefits out of that one simple checklist. And if you do that for every single routine that you have in your lives, you know, that your kids have to do, think about how much that could simplify things. You know, we don't use that checklist anymore. We used it for maybe six or eight months and then we lost it. But it didn't matter that we lost it because it was already habit for him. He already had kind of internalized what he needed to do in what order he needed to do it and by what time on the clock it had to be done and he did it well and he still does it well our routine has changed in the morning a little bit he's 14 now you know he's in middle school he's a teenager um, headed off to high school soon and so our routine obviously has changed over time but it's still a routine that is very much internalized for him we have you know, six or seven things that he has to do in a particular order, and he does them. And right now, his reward is that he gets to lay back down in bed and shut his eyes um, and rest until it's time to leave for school if he's ready before that time. And, you know, that works for him. And he is allowed to get on his phone or, you know, play games or whatever. But typically, he chooses just to rest before we have to go. That you know, as a motivation for him to go ahead and get everything done, then he gets to shut his eyes again for a little bit. So, you know, it's important when you set up these sort of things to make sure that the reward, you know, the carrot at the end is something that is super motivating for your child. What is your child's currency? What makes them go? What motivates them? Because the ADHD brain is only motivated by interest and urgency, whereas a neurotypical brain is motivated by interest and urgency, but also by importance. When something is important, those of us who have a neurotypical brain are able to say, okay, this is important, I'm going to get it done. The ADHD brain does not work that way. Um, So anytime you can add some motivation that's of interest to your child, you're going to have better success. And the last piece I want to talk to you about, the last thing that you really need to know about and start working on once your child is diagnosed is your parenting strategies. Um, 
traditional parenting approaches do not work for kids with ADHD. They just don't. Your typical, you know, crime and punishment sort of system of discipline is not going to be effective overall, you know, consistently for a child with ADHD. And part of that is because of impulsivity. Part of that is because of um, not being able to kind of weigh consequences before they act. And so it's just, you know, getting in trouble three days ago for something isn't necessarily going to be able to make them stop and think before they act. And it may not make them motivated to reconsider what they're going to do when they don't really have intrinsic motivation from importance. Um, So it's really key, first of all, to understand that traditional discipline and punishment just doesn't work for kids with ADHD. Will a threat of punishment work You know, on occasion, absolutely, but it's not going to consistently change behavior. The only way that you're going to consistently affect behavior is through behavior modification. So, you know, if your child is lying to you about doing their homework, how do you get them to not lie to you anymore. You can punish them, but their motivation for lying has not been addressed. The reason why the lying is happening has not been addressed. And so it's going to happen again, no matter what the punishment was. It's just the way it is. And so if instead you determine that the assignment is overwhelming for your child, or they don't know where to start, and you help them address that issue, then suddenly they're not lying to you anymore about doing their homework because they're able to get started or they're able to figure it out with your help. So that really, that, that, um, example can really translate to so many different aspects and, you know, that really should be your guiding principle. Positive parenting is so much more successful for kids with ADHD. And positive parenting includes validating their emotions, no matter whether you think they're babyish or, um, you know, out of scale for the situation, showing empathy to your child in situations when they're upset. It's also supporting their talents and interests and what they're good at. You know, our kids have self-esteem issues most of the time because they're walking around in a world that gives them messages that they're inept, they um, are bad, they're broken, they're dumb. You know, they get these messages, whether they're... um, you know, really somebody saying it out loud to them or whether it's just what they internalize from their experiences. And so as parents, we really have to work very hard on building self-esteem and confidence. We have to help our kids discover where they're doing better, um, you know, what they're good at. And we have to nurture that. We have to give them those opportunities again and again and again. Um, 
So that's kind of in a nutshell. If I had known what I know now, the day my son was diagnosed, those are the things that I would have wanted to know right from day one. Those are the things that I know now that I needed to jump on and implement that were going to make life a little easier. Um, So I want you to really make sure that you're doing these five things, that you've implemented them in your family and with your child. It's certainly a long adjustment period after diagnosis. You know, your, your child doesn't change when they get a diagnosis, but, you know, your perspective of everything changes. Now you feel like there's something you need to fix. You need to help them. And that process to getting where you really understand your child, you really know how to help them effectively takes some time. Like I said, it's a learning curve. But hopefully with this information up front, you will be able to see that it's doable and you will be able to shorten your learning curve and really get on a good path with your child with ADHD. If you want show notes, please go to parentingadhdandautism.com. You will find the notes from this episode, as well as links to resources and anything else that I have discussed today. And so that's it for this episode of My Child Has ADHD. Now what do I do? Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.